0: This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, George Tolman talks about devotion to the Divine Mercy.
1: One body. One body.
0: What's something about the image that most people don't notice? One, One Body. Why does the Divine Mercy Novena include the prayers of various souls? One Body creation. Well, let's find out. Here's George Tolman.
1: And hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the One Body Show here on Divine Mercy Radio. My name is George Tolman. And as always, it is an honor and a pleasure to be on the air again with you today to talk about our holy Catholic faith. We have a pretty packed show uh, scheduled for you here, and so I'm just going to go ahead and jump into our conversation. We have a lot to cover, and so I want to be sure we have a lot of time to do so. First off, I want to say Happy Easter. At the time of this recording, we are in the octave of Easter, and, and for those of you who may not know, from Easter Sunday, we celebrate Easter primarily, right? But then for eight days in the church calendar, we still celebrate Easter. It's called the octave of Easter. And so every single day we say, Christ is risen, hallelujah. And we're very, very intentional about that. Similar about Christmas. So we celebrate Christmas on, on December 25th, but then we have eight days following, celebrating the octave of Christmas. And so again, every day from Easter Sunday, for eight consecutive days, we celebrate Easter, and so for those of you with families, I'm hoping that you're spending some time uh, talking about the resurrection with your children, with your loved ones, and praying about it because, our again, our Lord desires that we do so it, with it being the octave of Easter. Number two, at the time of this recording, unfortunately, we are experiencing still the effects of the coronavirus pandemic. Many states around the country are in a complete lockdown mode. People are sheltering in place, and and unfortunately, jobs are now being lost. It was only a short month ago that life was "quote unquote" normal, and now we've thirty days later, if not a little bit more, uh, we've experienced more pains and agonies. But as I said in a previous broadcast, our Lord desires the greatest victory in times of great trial, and so. He is continuously providing graces for us to be able to handle this time, and He is also preparing us for whatever is to come. Meaning that in this time of suffering, I, for many of us, myself included here, um, He has provided insight um, into what is important and what is not important, and to really reinforce the things that are important: family, love, our relationship with the Lord, authenticity. Uh, True humility, knowing when to reach out for help, those kind of things. And so this time, again, very, very impactful. What I want to do is I want to talk about the devotion of divine mercy. That's the topic for today. And the reason why I want to talk about that with you is is not to give us a full theological spiel on divine mercy, because I I could not do that even if I wanted to. Um, It's a pretty loaded, loaded uh, teaching. Uh, But it's loaded only because of the mystery that it unfolds. In fact, it's quite simple to grasp. But similar to like the rosary when you're praying it when you're kindergarten, the example I've given before on the air is, you know, with the rosary, like, you know, you'd pray the the third joyful mystery, the, the birth of our Lord Jesus. And as a kid, you're meditating on the sheep and the hay, you know, and this mom and dad, you know, in the picture. Then when you get older, you get more wisdom. And you start seeing the mystery for what it is. And as you experience more things of life, you have a greater appreciation for that moment. And so Divine Mercy is something very similar. You can grasp the Divine Mercy teaching at a very young age, but it grows on you just as you grow with the world because you have new experiences and new things in life that you take that then bring you great um, great joy and put into perspective things that you may not have originally thought and so what I want to do to start us off is I like to start us off with the with a prayer. And particularly what I would like to start us off with is the prayer that begins the Divine Mercy Chaplet. It's an optional prayer, so you don't have to pray it, but it really sets the tone real well. And I think it's very fitting for our conversation today on the Divine Mercy. So if you would please Join with me in this moment, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You expired, Jesus, but the source of life gushed forth for souls, and the ocean of mercy opened up for the whole world. O fount of life, unfathomable divine mercy, envelop the whole world, and empty yourself out upon us. O blood and water, which gush forth from the heart of Jesus, as a fount of mercy for us, I trust in you. O blood and water, which gush forth from the heart of Jesus as a fount of mercy for us, I trust in you. O blood and water, which gush forth from the heart of Jesus as a fount of mercy for us, I trust in you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Beautiful prayer. My favorite phrase is the one that we repeated three times. O blood and water, which gush forth from the heart of Jesus as a fount of mercy for us, I trust in you. If you're ever in need of a prayer that can get you through a tough moment, there are many of them, but if there's one that you haven't tried, I would say repeating that line, O blood and water, which gush forth from the heart of Jesus as a fount of mercy for us, I trust in you. And the reason why I say that is because this conclusion of the opening prayer we recognize the blood and water which gushes forth from the heart of jesus the very blood and water that there on calvary sprayed upon the roman soldier who threw a lance just to be sure that jesus was dead and then through that experience not only became converted to christ but then shared that with the world a man who was who whose job was to ensure that the Lord was dead on the cross by putting a spear right into his side, received the blood and water that allowed him to see the truth of Christ. The church throughout the years, especially in the last hundred years, have recognized that this prayer, the blood and water that we, which we discussed, is the foundation of the church. The water, representing baptism of sanctity. The blood, the things that give life, the Eucharist. So baptism and the Eucharist, two foundational sacraments essential to our living as Christians, recognized in blood and water there on the cross with our Lord Jesus. Now, if I were giving a full teaching on the divine mercy, I would also include a discussion about the image of divine mercy. And I strongly recommend that you have an image of divine mercy and that you keep it somewhere in your house, or you keep it somewhere close by because it's a very, very powerful uh, powerful thing to have. Because it always reminds us of who our Lord and Savior is and why he's needed, especially today. But a couple of things I want to bring out in that image of the divine mercy. One, the blood and water that flows from our Lord from his heart, again, representing the Eucharist and baptism. But if you look at our Lord's feet, so for those of you who do have a picture handy, go ahead and take a look at it. If you're listening on the radio uh, at home or, or, or away or listening to the app, you know, again, just go on Google or your, your preferred web browser and type in, type in the Divine Mercy image and you'll see the image. But take a look at our Lord's feet. You will notice that our Lord's feet are not parallel. Like he's not standing still. Our Lord's feet are staggered one foot in front of the other. And that was very intentional. We sometimes miss this when we talk about the divine mercy image, but I think it's very important. The feet, as they're staggered, represents our Lord approaching us and desiring us to receive his mercy. And that's the call that we have as Christians, is to receive the Lord's mercy. We don't necessarily have to approach God to get this mercy. He initiates the conversation with us. He initiates the movement with us. And our job is to accept. And that's how a lot of things are with Christ and his church. Our Lord leads the church and our church accepts. And that's the beauty of the relationship. Now the big piece about that divine mercy image and the one that is most popular and I'm sure most familiar by people is a phrase at the bottom. Jesus, I trust in you. And there's a reason why that phrase is so powerful. It's because in the moments of our suffering, especially like times of today, where literally everyone is experiencing something from this coronavirus, reflecting on the phrase, Jesus, I trust in you, reminds us where we need to put our burdens, where we need to put our sufferings, is to give it to him. Our Lord won't necessarily alleviate some of that suffering, as if he could erase it. Sometimes he does, but that's not what happens most of the time. What happens most of the time is that our Lord takes the sufferings that we are experiencing and in return gives us wisdom to understand exactly why we're in what we're in. And by doing so, he exposes something very beautiful about his love. He exposes, number one, that he is present within it, even if we want to deny him. He is still present. He's still there. He just simply asks us to accept. And then number two, by giving us that wisdom to understand why we're in the situation we're in, He gives us the opportunity to make things better. He gives us the opportunity to love in a more authentic way, to be truly in relationship with Him. With the Divine Mercy Novena, the devotion, etc. One of the key pieces of understanding this this novena it is, is that it is there to console the heart of Jesus. It is there to console the heart of console the heart of Jesus. Now some of us might ask, what does console the heart of Jesus mean? I mean we're human, He's God. so that's already an unfair advantage. So what do you mean console? Like can we console him as a friend? Can we console him as we would our children? Yes. That's exactly what consoling the heart of Jesus means. It's truly being an authentic friend of Jesus. The teaching of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the God made flesh, is very important because it reminds us that Jesus is God and he is human. Meaning that being human, not only does he have the physical flesh, but he also experiences the pains, the loneliness the joys. He knows what that's like to a deeper degree than you and I ever could. And so when we talk about consoling the heart of Jesus, here's where we're getting at. Our Lord Jesus desires someone to be with him because there's a lot of things in this world that give him great heartache. And the best example I can give from a worldly perspective is this. All of us have been rejected at some point in our life. Some of the rejection wasn't that big of a deal. We got through it. Other rejection, it it hurts a lot. One example that I give that I know makes people uncomfortable, but it's very real is the impact of pornography on the world today. There are many women out there and men who feel rejected by their spouse because their spouse prefers to watch an adult film compared to be with them. That's a form of rejection and it hurts, makes you feel unworthy, makes you feel purposeless. Sometimes gives you anger. Sometimes you just can't help but cry. Sometimes it makes you feel worthless, but rejection is very real. Now, what we forget, and I'm a school psychologist by training. And so one of my things that I'm trained with fairly well is, is helping people deal with rejection. But one thing that we forget is that our Lord Jesus Christ experienced that same amount of rejection and then some. And here's what I mean. The primary form of the rejection was Good Friday. Jesus, completely innocent, is offered on the cross to take away the sins of man and the punishment of everlasting death. He did not deserve to be there, we did, but he stood in our place. And not only that, he transformed that suffering to something even greater. When he was in Nazareth, young in his ministry, he shows up at the synagogue and says famously, the words of what you have heard have been fulfilled in your name. And I'm basically says in so many words, hey, this is the fulfillment, me right here. And what happened? His own community of Nazareth, the very people that saw him grow up for 30 years says, all right, adios, we can't handle this. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Bye-bye. That's what happened. He was rejected even from his own home community. Every time that someone sins, in fact, our Lord is rejected because we have chosen something not of God. Our Lord experiences rejection often, and it hurts him. His mercy is what continues to drive him, and his love for us continues to drive him. But he's still human. He desires someone to console him just like a friend needs someone when they've been rejected. And so the consoling the heart of Jesus simply means this, folks. Just like we turn to our Lord for consolation when we're in a tough time, our Lord simply asks us, hey, I want, I'm want i your friend. I desire to be with you. I love you. Can you. Can you help me? Can you be with me? Help make this pain just a little less intense? Because sometimes you just need a crying shoulder to be on. And so that's the imagery. It's like, our oh Lord, you know, I, I can't, I'm not God, but I know that you desire to be in friendship with me and I call you my friend and the friendship's two-way street. You help me, I help you. Okay, I'll pray this chaplain and I'll reflect upon your, 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 your suffering. And all of a sudden, our Lord loves us even more. Just like in times of suffering, we sometimes find the greatest love for one another. And so our Lord desires that from us. Now, on an even deeper level than that, as we grow in friendship with our Lord, not only in the joys, but maybe most importantly through the sufferings, our Lord then continues to give us his wisdom to help understand our purpose and meaning in this world. This is why some of the greatest saints kept talking about, Lord, keep bringing the suffering. And some of us, you know, who aren't necessarily um, that close to that grade of sanctity go, oh my gosh, what are they talking about? They're woefully accepting these crosses? And the answer is yes, because that's what our Lord did. He didn't complain when Pontius Pilate said, you're going, to take, you're going to be crucified, here's your cross. Our Lord willfully accepted it. In fact, the scriptures make clear that our Lord embraced the cross, which totally confused people. Why the heck is this guy embracing the very thing that's going to give him ultimate suffering? The great saints know that. They know that truth. And the Divine Mercy Chaplet, along with other devotions, but particularly the chaplet, particularly the teaching of Divine Mercy, helps us access that even more to understand why our Lord embraced that cross, to help us understand why he made that road to Calvary when he could have done anything he wanted to to make the world better. But that's what he chose to do. And in consoling the heart of Jesus, we also remember a very important teaching as well. And that teaching is this. When we actually say that we are Christian, when we actually admit that we desire the Lord and we desire to change our life for him, the more that we become like him. And when we become more like him, that's when we evangelize the world. Now, the power in all of this comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the, auth- the, the authorship of God. Yes, but the power in all of this is something that we can connect to today. I want you to think, and you might you yourself might be the very person here, so I want to give yourself some credit. But in times of great suffering, who do we get motivated by the most? Do we get motivated by the person who isn't experiencing the suffering and trying to teach us something? Or are we more motivated when we see the person who's actually suffering and they live their life out joyfully? Or they know that these problems exist, but they simply say, you know what? This is really tough, but I know the Lord's with me. Glory to God. Amen. Those are the people, in my experience and and in my opinion, those are the people that we yearn to the most. We see that loving spouse who who is who is currently a couple hours away from death and they have this joy in their eyes and they're content and we're like, oh my gosh, you're gonna you're about ready to die. Like how, how can this how can this be happening? It's because they become in union with the Lord. They're starting to see things in his full construct. And they give us more motivation and more love than any person teaching it could. And so on a deeper level, why we want to engage in this practice of acknowledging and experiencing the divine mercy is because that's what's going to help transform the world. Think about what's happening today. We live in a day and age where litigation is how we solve problems. We've had a ton of lawsuits, and we call our lawyers up for the littlest thing because we can't have a conversation with one another. You go on social media, and you see all these people who are quote-unquote experts yelling at each other through the screens of the internet, Rather than face-to-face having conversation and go, how can we come to some consensus? And in fact, some people don't desire consensus. They just desire to complain. The teaching of divine mercy tells us that is not an appropriate way to go about living life. The divine mercy and its core teaching is that it is an action of love. Mercy is the result of loving thy neighbor. And so if you go about living a life of mercy, living a life of Christ's love, You will see every situation as an opportunity to evangelize the Lord's message of of love and forgiveness, and you also use that opportunity to bring peace to the world through truth, authentic witness to the faith. We need a lot more of that, especially times like today, where there's so much suffering going on, some that we know, some that we really don't know, and everyone needs us. Everyone needs to come together to try to find an answer. If not finding an answer, at least support one another. It gets real lonely sitting in your house all the time. And we need that experience of mercy to be able to help us stay in continuity with one another because that teaching of mercy, that action of mercy, that experience of mercy allows us faithfully to walk the way of Jesus Christ. And in turn, as we walk the way of Jesus Christ, we help transform the world. It's all interconnected. The more that we don't choose mercy, the more that the world doesn't look merciful We love to always critique the culture. And yes, I will say the culture is something that we need to address. But I will say, folks, remember, the culture is made up of human beings making decisions. Remember that. And so if the world was merciful, guess what happens? Our culture becomes merciful. If we prefer to live in silos and live in litigation, guess what our society turns into, what our culture turns into? It turns into litigation. It turns into that very intense uh, not problem-solving, but just, you know, burning bridges mentality. So we have a lot to say about the culture. And again, I'm not saying that we're 100% responsible because it is it is the, the devil's work most of the time that corrupts the culture. But what I am saying very, very bluntly is that we have a lot to say in terms of making things better. And it begins with us and the relationships that God has asked us to live and be with. And then that extends out from there. Now, with the Divine Mercy Chaplet and the teachings associated with it, of course you have Saint Faustina's diary. Very beautiful. I, I I would desire anyone to take up that diary and read it as part as part of their devotion because it's it's great. But what I want to talk about now, and I'll be after our little break, is is talking about the the nine the nine day novena. That starts on Good Friday and then ends on Divine Mercy Sunday, the Sunday after Easter. And I want to talk about each of those nine days and really help show what our Lord is trying to teach us and how we can use some of that information for our our own, especially in these times where we're living in a world where there's a lot of crisis going on. And so we're going to take a quick little break to get a word from our sponsors and others. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio on The One Body Show. My name is George Tolman and stay tuned. We'll be right back.
0: One body, stewarding God's creation. We're back on One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. One body, devotion to the divine mercy. One body, stewarding God's creation. With George Toman.
1: And hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the One Body Show here on Divine Mercy Radio. Right before the break, we talked about uh, some aspects of of Divine Mercy. And now I want to focus in on the Divine Mercy Novena, particularly the intentions we have each of the nine days, and just provide some comments on them uh, that hopefully will help kind of connect the dots, if you will, towards how we can use this devotion even more for our own life. I will say that the Divine Mercy Chaplet, in my life, and I didn't say this before. I will say this now. I didn't have a great appreciation for it until college. I came across the teaching because my parish priest at the time had a very full, a very legit, and a humble heart towards the Divine Mercy, and would always talk about it. And in my own conversion story, college was very important for me in terms of bringing me closer to the Lord. And so I started to do my own reading and and ask friends and and those respected in the faith to give me some guidance on divine mercy. And after a while I was hooked and I saw that the divine mercy chaplet was a great complement to the rosary in which I love to pray. And in fact, with the divine mercy chaplet, because of how short it is, you could get a chaplet done probably within 10, 15 minutes, if not sooner. Just going through that little exercise helps kind of reorient the day to help really put things in perspective. So I always found great joy in the, the chaplet of Divine Mercy and the Divine Mercy teaching. Again, I won't call myself an expert, but it has provided an impact on my life because one of the things that I know I have grown in in the last 10 years since learning about this devotion is the importance of being merciful, especially in a world that desires to not be merciful and how being merciful helps provide a sense of peace, calmness. Um, it also provides a an opportunity for authentic growth because the times that I cannot find in my heart to forgive or to be merciful, I turn to the Lord, and He shows me pretty quickly the weaknesses that I have, and and encourages me to think another route than not giving His His um, His mercy to the world, and so. And so those are some tough conversations to have, but nonetheless, they do happen. But the Divine Mercy, don't know, uh, practice has been very, very meaningful to me. And one of the connecting dots that I had was was looking at these these nine these nine days in this novena and the specific intentions we have in the nine days for Holy Mother Church. And now, remember that with any time you do a novena. You can say it nine days for your own intention or whatever, and that's completely fine. But in the occasion that you just want to participate more fully in the church and and maybe don't have any specific intention other than that Our Lady um, um, via Our Lord helps you know guide graces one way or the other, you can meditate on um, each of the nine days, and I'm going to talk about a few of them in detail because I think that by grasping them, like I said before break, we get a better vision and a better perspective of who our lord is and who our lord isn't and so i'm going to start by seeing this sometimes i think we view our lord as like a pop machine here's what i mean the pop machine has a lot of goodies in it if i put in a dollar in the pop machine more like a dollar 50 you know if you want to be real in today's money but nonetheless you put some money in the machine at the right amount You then hit a button for the thing you want, and then it comes out within seconds. Instantaneous reinforcement, that kind of deal. So I input, the machine reads my input, and then it provides an output based on what I desire. And unfortunately, I do think that we do that sometimes as Christians. In fact, maybe more often than we like to admit. So we'll get, especially as Catholics, we have all these different prayers, all these different novenas, masses, whatever. And sometimes we'll get caught in that trap of saying, all right, I'm just going to pray this because I want this. And you don't like connect the dots between, look, you don't necessarily pray this to get this, but you, but this is on your heart. You pray for it so our Lord then guides you moving forward. And sometimes he'll give you what you ask for. But as we, well, we all know, a lot of times he doesn't. So what we'll sometimes do is that we'll say something to the effect of, all right, Lord, I'm going to do this novena because, I'll give you a prime example, because I want a spouse. And so... I do this, and then I don't have a spouse after nine days. I'm like, Lord, what's the matter with you? Didn't I do this right? And again, that's the pop machine mentality. Properly speaking, we need to look at the Lord as someone that has the authorship of our life. Again, the divine mercy image on the very bottom says, Jesus, I trust in you. And so when we do a novena, whenever we do any kind of prayer, we don't go into it saying, Lord, after this, I expect something from you. Properly, we should say, Lord, I humbly come to you with this matter that you put on my heart, whether it be in control or not my control. And I ask you to figure it out, solve it, because I trust in you and I'll just go with the flow. You provide the blueprint, you provide whatever, I'll go with the flow. And that's a sign of a great saint is that when they're able to do that willfully, again, I made that very, very simple, but nonetheless, that's what it is. It's a lot harder to carry out, but the great saints all know that they all know That they just go to the Lord for support, and then through their faith, they will get back the support. It may not come in the form that they expect, but nonetheless, it will happen. So let's talk about a couple of these days in light of that. So day one, bring to me all mankind, especially all sinners. What does that show us of our Lord? Our Lord desires everyone to receive his mercy. He desires everyone to receive his grace. There is not one soul on this earth that was created for the sake of being put in hell. All souls were seen by God to receive his righteousness and his grace. Question is, will they accept? And will we help them accept? And so in the very first day, we recognize all mankind, especially all sinners, that our Lord does not exclude the ones that need him most. That's a very powerful image of love. Day number two, bring to me the souls of priests and religious. Right up in the forefront, we go to the importance of priests and religious, not their administrative duties, not what we hope priests and religious to be, but the souls of priests and religious who have dedicated their lives to Christ. This is why, and I do believe this is a practice that we probably should start doing more of, but for whatever reason we aren't, the good and faithful priests and religious to pray for them fervently and thank God for their existence and their call to say yes to him because they are the ones that sacrifice their whole life to keep the church afloat. Yes, the lay faithful may make 90 to 95% of what fills up those pews, but the priests and religious are the main operators to continue the mission of God. They are the ones that through accepting, saying yes, accepting the call, they are the ones who have dedicated their lives to him. Now, I am not saying that we just blindly go with all priests and religious, because as we know from the abuse crisis and other things, that may not be warranted. But what I am saying is that we need to be praying explicitly for our priests and religious often, because by praying for them, we strengthen them. And in turn, as they get strengthened, we in turn get strengthened because our church is healthier. If we try to live the Catholic faith without our priests and religious, we don't have a Catholic faith at all. And so it's really important that we remember that. And our Lord brings it very explicitly in the second day of the devotion. Day number three, all devout and faithful souls. Why is this important? Because not only do we talk about the sinners, but it's also that we talk about those who have very much been with our Lord. Think about the weeping women of Jerusalem. It's one of the stations of the cross. These women loved our Lord and they wept for him. These were devout souls that accompanied our Lord on his journey. That's who he's thinking about here. All those souls who accompany on, his, on the journey. So when I talked about adoration in the past, when I talked about consoling the heart of Jesus. This is it. This is, this is why. Because as we do those things, we console his heart. We are there as friends with him. and He desire, desires us to know that and be recognized as such. Day number four, those who do not believe in God and those who do not yet know me. So our Lord is very willing to accept anyone. And that includes those who do not know him and those who do not yet know him. And he desires us to love them and to show them his mercy through our actions. Day five, the souls of those who have separated themselves from my church, the fallen away. So day five is pretty big because there's a lot of us. Well, there's, I should back up and say this. We have something in Catholic radio that said often about the number one Denomination or religious groups, the Catholics, and then the second largest are the fallen away Catholics. Day five is huge because all of us have been affected by someone who's left the faith. And so God desires to bring mercy to them through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, particularly through the divine mercy, to bring them back into communion with him. Day six, bring to me the meek and humble souls and the souls of little children. These are the ones that... The innocence of that five-year-old suddenly something, something profound about the faith. This is why we pray for him. We especially pray for those and the unborn as well. The children who may have been lost to things like abortion. We pray for the children who have been neglected, abused as well, here in this sixth day. All the meek and humble souls, especially those little children. Because that's the lifeblood for the future. And so our Lord explicitly says, bring to me them. Bring them to me. Day seven, bring the souls who especially venerate and glorify my mercy. So now we recognize those who, in their extraordinary attitude and their performance, venerate and glorify the mercy of our Lord. And we bring those to the forefront. So just like as we're talking about all the ones who don't, now we talk about the ones who really love our Lord and them, His mercy. And we, bring, and we recognize them. Day eight, the souls who are detained in purgatory. So now we're talking about church Suffering, That our responsibility as church militant is not only to help shed light on this world, but also we have been given the responsibility authored by God himself to pray for those in purgatory so that, for the merits of those prayers, our friends will go to heaven. And I've always been a big fan of praying for those in purgatory because if you pray for those in purgatory, you may not know their names, but as soon as they get to heaven and something had to do with you helping them get there, they will pray for you. They will pray for you in turn in church triumphant. I will quote specifically the other words that accompany this eighth day. The souls who are detained in purgatory and immerse them in the abyss of my mercy. Let the torrents of my blood cool down their scourging flames. All these souls are greatly loved by me. They are making retribution to my justice. It is in your power... To bring them relief. Draw all the indulgences from the treasury of my church and offer them on their behalf. Oh, if you only knew the torments they suffer, you would continually offer for them the alms of the Spirit and pay off their debt to my justice. Folks, this is why we do the prayers that we do, especially those faithfully departed, because we have by God Himself been given the grace and the responsibility to help those in purgatory. And again, how would you feel if you're in purgatory, someone you don't even know is praying for you, and all of a sudden our Lord's like, all right, your debt has been relieved. You can thank also those people over there entering into my kingdom through the pearly gates, and all of a sudden, the are in church triumphant. They're definitely going to pray for you. So it's a nice relation, relational thing as well. And then ninth day, bring to me the souls who have become lukewarm, and I'm going to keep reading, these souls wound my heart most painfully. My soul suffered the most dreadful loathing in the Garden of Olives because of lukewarm souls. They were the reason I cried out, Father, take this cup away from me, if it be your will. For them, the last hope of salvation is to run to my mercy. And continuing, There are souls who thwart my efforts. Souls without love or devotion. Souls full of egoism and selfishness. Proud and arrogant souls full of deceit and hypocrisy. Lukewarm souls will have just enough worth to keep themselves alive. My heart cannot bear this. All the graces that I pour out upon them flow off them as off the face of a rock. I cannot stand them because they are neither good nor bad. We end our meditations of the novena praying for those who are lukewarm because they give our Lord the most frustrating type of, uh, or are they frustrated? Or Lord maybe the most. And frustrating is probably not the best word to use, but I think you get what I mean. And for those of us who may not connect the dots between that, is like, why would our Lord be most frustrated at a lukewarm well. So I want you to think about our world today and, and you'll quickly come to the realization. You have some people that are very much devoted for something, devoted for a cause, devoted for a purpose. And even though that cause may not be right or good, they're still devoted to it and they're gonna live their life and sacrifice of it. But how many people that do you know that simply live day by day, don't have a purpose, don't do good or bad, they're just there. They don't really care, it's like a blah. See, those are very frustrating people. They're not motivated to do anything. They're very almost purposeless people. And those are the kind of people that tear down organizations. They're the kind of people that tear down families. They're the ones that do that, maybe the most. And the reason why I say the most is because you don't often have the one who's a true family destroyer, even though they are those that exist, but the ones who slowly corrupt a family, slowly corrupt an organization, slowly corrupt parts of our world are those who are lukewarm. Those who do not make a stand for something. And again, I won't go into any politics. I won't go into any kind of drama, but you know what I'm talking about. Those people that don't stand for anything and they just let whatever flow and how frustrating it is and how much it can change the world. Day nine, our Lord brings it out that those are the ones that we need to pray for the most because they cause him the most grief. So what does this all say about our Lord Jesus Christ? By meditating on these nine days and these specific intentions, we realize a couple things, folks. Number one, our Lord desires unity. Why would he be praying for sinners, lukewarm people, and the greats? Why would he be praying and asking us to pray for them if he didn't desire us to be in unity? And having a united front, being a church united, is what he desires. So, anyone out there who tries to say and, and, and throws off the sales pitch of oh, you know, division is okay, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. Now, when I say division is okay, I'm not talking to, you know, I'm not talking about those who who are separating themselves from from good or evil. I'm talking about those that when they see divisions in the church, such as those who like don't like Pope Francis, we shouldn't be okay with that. Where they purposely say he's not my pope, or they, per- which by the way would be basically asking for excommun- excommunication, or close to it, or they look at a priest and go, "Oh, I don't like this priest, so I'm going to go over here." Called devices because I don't like his personality. See, that's the stuff that doesn't really suit well for our Lord. Our Lord desires us to be in union with one another, and the, His Fount of Mercy is what enables us to get closer to that realization. Number two, the teaching of Divine Mercy illustrates that it is for everyone and therefore because it's for everyone, we're one big community and whether we like it or not, our actions influence that community. And so when we pray through the nine days, yes, we may not have the answer for like the crisis in the church regarding like you know people not coming to mass even though you know a majority of the community says they're Catholic, we may not have answers for that. but we may have an answer for our own little family, our own little friend group. And to always remember that our job is to bring truth to them and help them obtain that truth via the divine mercy. Because again, love of thy neighbor, what is the direct result? Mercy. And then lastly, something to think about, and then we'll conclude our thoughts for today. With the divine mercy in his teaching, how can it help us today? Notice how our Lord recognizes suffering and gives us an opportunity to answer that through him. One of the biggest things that we can do today that's going to have the greatest impact is placing our trust in the Lord and then acting on that trust. Again, trusting the Lord, but then not doing anything, that's really not trusting God. But trusting and acting on what He is telling us will help us go forward. And so what could that look like? Well, some of us might have been a little, you know, might be might be really asked, Hey, how much do you really love your family? Because now you're stuck with them for the next three weeks. Come to me with that heavy heart. Come to me and I will show you how to love your family more. Some of us are experiencing loneliness and pain and suffering due to the, the social distancing. Our Lord might be asking us very bluntly, Hey, remember me? Can we build our relationship again in this time of suffering? And what happens is is that as we do that, our Lord then takes that, that gift that he's given us, takes that suffering, turns it into and offers it on the cross. And then through that offering, gives us an even greater love. He helps us see something we didn't see before. And when that happens, we go change the world. And so in conclusion, what do we hope to gain out of today? I hope that we have a better understanding of how the teaching of divine mercy can assist us in our moment of need. How the mercy of God properly understood allows us to truly be in union with Him. And even though those sufferings may not go away, we at least can take that gift of love that our Lord has given us in the form of divine mercy and be able then to give that to the world so that we can be true disciples to Him. And when all that happens, our lives legitimately do get better because we're putting things in its proper place. The primacy of the Lord is where we desire to be, which then in turn helps us in the long run. So to conclude today, I thank you for listening to this broadcast and we will conclude our final words with the concluding prayer from the Divine Mercy Chaplet. And so next time, folks, thank you so much. God bless you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Eternal God, in whom mercy is endless and the treasury of compassion and exhaustible, look kindly upon us and increase your mercy in us that in difficult moments we may not despair nor become despondent, but with great confidence submit ourselves to your holy will, which is love and mercy itself. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's One Body Show, Stewarding God's Creation. If you have a comment about today's show, please go to dvmercy.com and click on the One Body icon. The comment button is in the middle of the page. Also, Divine Mercy Radio is expanding into Salina. If you are able to help us in purchasing equipment we desperately need to build this station in Salina, so please go to DVMercy.com and click on Donate. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 88.1 KVDM Hayes, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and very soon... KJDM 101.7 in Salina. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. One body stood in God's creation.